0: Chapter 7 of Nellie Channel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Nellie Channel by Sarah Dowdney. Chapter 7 Disposing of Helen's Jewels. A month went by the household fell back into its old ways, the little child laughed and played, and grew dearer and dearer to them all. Mrs. Farron had taken upon herself the task of looking over Helen's things. She performed this duty without any aid from Rhoda, and not one word did she say about the jewels. The farmer had written to Australia, breaking the sad news to Robert Clarice as gently as he could. "'How would he receive it?' Rhonda wondered. "'They had left off speaking of him in her hearing. "'They were aware of all the bitter dislike that she cherished, "'but they never sought to soften her heart. "'They were content, as the wisest people are, "'to leave most things to time. "'We do not know how often we wrong a friend "'by hotly defending him.' nor how we help an enemy by running him down. Now that Helen was gone, Rhoda was harassed by a new fear. She dreaded lest Robert should take away the child. It was more than probable that he would marry again one day. A hard-natured, selfish man, such as she believed him to be, would need a wife to slave for him, Then he would send for Rhoda's ewe lamb, and there would be an end to her dream of future happiness. She did not realise that God seldom makes us happy in our own way. Blessings, like crosses, nearly always come from unexpected quarters. We search for honey in an empty hive, and find it at last in the carcass of a dead lion, The gills, mother and son, were little the worse for that night's catastrophe. Like all tragedies, Helen's death was a nine days' wonder. There was plenty of sympathy, there were condolences from all sides, and then the excitement died out. The small topics of daily life resumed their old importance, and so the time went on. At the end of October, the farmer received a reply to his letter. Rhoda refrained from asking any questions, and they did not tell her how the widower had borne the blow. She saw tears in her mother's eyes, and thought that a great deal of love and pity are wasted in the world. Long afterwards, her opinion changed, and she understood that money is often wasted, love and pity never. "'Thank God,' It is only the things that perish in the using, which we ever can waste." On the very day after the Australian letter came, the black mare was put into the light cart. The farmer dressed himself in his best clothes and carefully examined the harness. These were signs that he was going to drive to the town. "'Maybe it would do you no harm to come, Rhoda,' he said suddenly. "'Put on your bonnet and bring the little one.' Rhoda ran up into her room and dressed herself in haste. Little Nellie crowed with glee when her small black pelisse was buttoned on. She was quite unconscious of the compassion that her mourning garments excited. And even when she was fairly seated in the cart, her shrill cries of delight brought a smile into the farmer's grave face. It was one of the last peaceful autumn days. The early morning sky had been covered with a grey curtain, whose golden fringes swept the hills from east to west. As the sun rose higher, the clouds were lifted, the bright fringes broadened, and there was light upon all the land. Rhoda and her father did not talk much. Her instincts told her that he was disposed to be silent, and there was a great deal to occupy eyes and mind. THE BINDWEED HUNG ITS LARGE WHITE FLOWERS ACROSS THE YELLOW HEDGES. THE WILD HONEYSUCKLE, IN ITS SECOND BLOOM, WAS LIKE AN OLD FRIEND WHO COMES BACK TO COMFORT US IN OUR DECLINING FORTUNES. THEY REACHED AT LENGTH THE BROW OF THE GREAT CHALK HILL THAT OVERLOOKS THE HARBOR. THERE LAY THE SEA, A WASTE OF SOFT BLUE-GRAY, TOUCHED WITH GLEAMS OF GOLD AND DASHES OF silver. There too lay the Isle of Wight in the tranquil sunshine. The mare trotted on, downhill all the way, till they entered the noisy streets of the busy seaport, and left peace and poetry behind. The farmer stopped at last before a silversmith's shop. He put the reins into Rhoda's hand, took a little wooden box from under his seat, and descended from the cart. For a few seconds his daughter was utterly bewildered. The stock of family plate was limited to a cream jug and spoons, and even if they had made up their minds to part with those treasures, the proceeds would hardly have recompensed them for the sacrifice. Yet what could be the contents of the wooden box that her father had carried into the shop? The truth flashed upon Rhoda. He was disposing of Helen's jewels. He had obtained her husband's permission to sell them. He came out again with a sober face. The silversmith came too, rubbing his hands as if he were not ill satisfied with his bargain. He wished the farmer good day, and the mare jogged steadily back to Huntstein. But Rhoda learnt long afterwards that the money for which the jewels were sold did not go to Mr. Elton, it went towards the maintenance of Helen's child. End of chapter 7